0: What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 10th of November. We're brought to you by eplindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is, of course, a VPN provider. So do check out their services at libertyshield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off your hardware or software package. Uh, So today we are going to review Sunday's games, four of them. We had West Brom against Spurs. We had Leicester Wolves, Man City Liverpool, and of course Arsenal-Aston Villa in the late kickoff. And then we'll wrap up with some transfer news and gossip and, you know, try and take our minds off the fact that it's an international break that nobody wanted and nobody cares about. So West Brom-Spurs was the first game of the Sunday schedule. And, you know, Spurs have just developed this little habit of playing Not particularly great and eking out wins against teams they really should be beating comfortably. They should have beaten Burnley comfortably, they eke out a 1-0 win. They should have beaten Brighton comfortably, they eke out a 2-1 win. And here, they should really have beaten West Brom very, very comfortably. But instead, it's a 1-0 win with a late goal from Harry Kane. And Kane, obviously, is in tremendous form this year. He's, I would say, comfortably one of the front runners for uh, the footballer of the year. I think his biggest rival right now might be Hungman min Son, who's also having a tremendous game. Son should have put Spurs one up early. Uh, he had a great chance after being played in by Kane himself, but took a little bit too much out of the ball. And... Um, The defenders ended up managing to get a block in. Spurs went with quite an aggressive team. Uh, They played Bale, Endembele, and Son behind Kane. And I thought they combined to play some really nice football at times, but lacked a little bit of incision. I think Endembele is better if played deeper. I would have preferred to have seen him play next to Heusberg in the midfield too. I didn't think they needed Sissoko in this game because West Brom offered so little in terms of real penetration. This was a West Brom team without Grady Diangana, without uh, Matthias Pereira, so a lot of their threat was gone. What we saw was Robinson sort of floating from wing to wing. Robinson had a good game here. He did create a couple of good chances for Carlin Grant. Grant will be annoyed with at least one of them that he didn't do better. I thought West Brom played some nice football. I think In Furlong and Townsend, they've got willing attackers from full-back. Both maybe a little bit better suited to the back five type system they played here than the the traditional back four that um, Slavin Bilic has gone with. But, you know, they're both decent, talented players. Um, The issue for them obviously remains in in central defence where They just can't seem to get out of each other's way. And a number of times we saw Spurs cut them open just with simple movement. Nothing too special, nothing spectacular, just simple movement. Spurs were good value for their 1-0 win. I think Spurs, I think this season, Spurs are better than the scorelines they're getting, but maybe, maybe just not quite as good at times as the overall results. I mean, they are second in the league. Five wins, two draws, and their only defeat was the opening day against uh, Everton. They've got the joint best defence in the league. Uh, Nobody has a good defence in the league right now. Nobody is conceding less than a goal a game. You've got uh, Leicester, Spurs, Villa, Wolves, and Man City have all conceded nine nine goals. Of course, City and Villa have all played a game less, so you would take them out. And it would then be the other three, Wolves, Tottenham and Leicester, as the best defences in the league. But they've all conceded nine in eight games, which, you know, over the course of the season is over 40 goals conceded, which you wouldn't mark down as a good defence. It's, you know, a relatively average defence. Spurs do look good going forward. Um, They've got an awful lot of options. The four that started, obviously all very, very good players. When you factor in that they have Lucas Mora, they have Stephen Bergvine, they have Deli Alley that can come in and play those three roles behind the striker. They have Carlos Vinicius who can come in and play as that striker. It really does lend itself to Spurs having great options, great depth, and, and potentially being able to sustain this type of form over a 38-game season. One of the issues for Spurs, of course, in recent years has been an injury to Kane, an injury to Son, an injury to Delhi, previously an injury to Erickson, and it could just knock them out of their stride. It could really hamper them while that player was out. Now, though, two options everywhere. I've, I've mentioned those options in the attack. They've got Heusberg and Sissoko starting in midfield. They've got Harry Winks, LaSelso, Jetson Fernandez, who can all come in that central midfield area. They've also got Eric Lamella that can come into the attacking four. So they're very, very strong. We're seeing really good performances from Reguilon at left-back. That's given them a massive lift. Ben Davies does a solid job there, but he's much more a defensive player than an attack-minded player. Reguilon has given them a real outlet, but they do have those two options. They've got Doherty and Aurier at right-back. They've got Alderweireld and Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer actually would arguably the best defensive moment of his career with a really good defensive header from right under his own crossbar um, to, to clip it away from onrushing attackers. But they've got those two starting at the moment, and they have Davinson Sanchez and Joe Roden uh, as depth. The only position you would question the depth is the goalkeeper. Hugo Lloris is obviously a very good goalkeeper. He's no longer, I would say, the world class keeper he was at his very, very peak. But he's still a good goalkeeper. But the drop off then, Gastoniga is decent, but he's currently third choice. Joe Hart is currently the second choice. Joe Hart has not been good in, in quite a while. He was pretty dreadful for Burnley, he's pretty dreadful for Torino. Pretty dreadful on loan at West Ham. You'd have real concerns if Joe Hart has to come into this team. That's the one area that could massively derail them. I've said before, anything shy of top four is a disaster for this team. I actually think anything shy of top three is a disaster for this team. They have the squad. They have the manager. This should be a top three team. No question. Currently second. So you know, on track. But they're gonna to have tough runs of games coming up and they're gonna to need to respond well. They're gonna to need to continue to win games. And if they manage that, they have a real chance at, at challenging for the title. Whether they can sustain it or not, I don't know, but they will be in the mix, I think. For for West Brom, I mean as I've said before, I really like the normal front three. I like Grant I really like Pereira and I like Diangana. I like Conor Gallagher. I like Kravinovich. I think they're good players. Gallagher's quite young and he still plays quite young. There's times during games where he just disappears, doesn't really have that nous of how to kind of grip a game yet. Uh, Jake Livermore does a solid job and he's obviously one of the leaders of the team, but he is slightly past his best. All of their question marks, all of their issues, for me, are in that defense. And that is that has got to be the area they look to strengthen come January. They really need to go out and find themselves a good central defender. And I do think they might need to look at the goalkeeping situation as well. I thought Sam Johnston would be better in the Premier League than he's shown. Um Dan Watts, who contributes to the EPL roundtable, has always been a bit of a doubter of Johnson, and I now see why. He makes erratic decisions. He has issues on crosses. He's a good shot-stopper, but outside of that, there's there's issues. Uh, I think that might be something they need to look at in January as well. Maybe he's securing a loan. A lot of talk that Dean Henderson could be available for loan. If he is, I think West Brom need to be at the top of the queue to try and snap him up and, and bring him in because he would be a huge improvement. Uh, this is a good win for Spurs. Anything you win away in the Premier League, it's a good win. Like I say, keeps them second, which they'll be very, very happy about. Only a point off Leicester. Level of points Liverpool, much better goal difference. Um, it, you know, All in all, you, you can't argue with, with what Mourinho is doing right now. Second game of the day was Leicester City against Wolves. Leicester came into this game with six wins on the bounce in in league and and Europa League action. And while they needed a penalty to win the game, there's little doubt they were the better team on the day. Uh, They looked far more threatening than Wolves, I think it's fair to say. Johnny Evans being back strengthened them. They were able to move James Justin to wing-back where he's more comfortable, move Wesley Fafana from the central defensive role to that right-side centre-back role. And they looked a little bit more balanced. They also brought James Madison into the team for Harvey Barnes, which was a little bit of a a strange one. Barnes had been playing really well. I'm not sure Dennis Pryat should have kept his place. Um, To me, he had been the one in the front three who wasn't performing at, at a high level. Barnes and Vardy had been so you know maybe it's just a rotation thing but great to see Madison getting the start Madison's obviously had injury problems to start the season but you do start to see this Leicester team take shape and when they get everybody back they're, they're going to be a problem they are going to be a problem for everybody if you consider Schmeichel Fafana, Evans and Sionchu Pereira Ndidi, Telemans. And Castanier, Barnes, Vardy, Madison. I, I think that is a team that will cause everybody trouble. It's got quality defenders, it's got exceptional attacking wingbacks, especially Pereira, who I think is maybe the second best right back in the league after Trent Alexander Arnold. Really good centre midfielders, a brilliant holding midfielder, and a good controlling midfielder. And then those three at- attackers are are all individually brilliant and. They work well together, they have a great understanding and they all offer very different things. You get the creativity of Madison, the goal scoring of Vardy and the pace and power of Barnes, it blends quite well. Leicester are going to be a force this year as well. Uh, the question marks will be what happens when they have a bad run. Last season we saw what happened when they had a bad run, it wasn't very good in this game. Wesley Fafana, one of the new signings, stepped up again. Four games in a row he's played now, and seven games he's played for the club, four games in the Premier League. And he has looked very, very good in each and every one of them. Uh, did a very, very good job at nullifying any Wolves threat that came down his side. Wolves themselves, there's issues at centre-back. There's there's always been issues at centre-back. But if you look ahead of that, that midfield forward that played, Semedo, Dendonker, Neves and Aitnuri, is an excellent group. You have everything you want in that group. And it's the real area of strength now for this team. Obviously, Jimenez up front. They played with Neto and Podence in behind. Adama needs to get back in this team, though. Until he is back in this team, they are going to be quite easy to stop. And Leicester found it quite easy to stop them until he came on. And even when he did come on, he had limited impact. Because... He's the type of player who needs to play. He's going to struggle if you're playing him 15 minutes one week, 30 minutes the next, 10 minutes the next. He needs to be starting. He needs to be in that team. He's one of their best players. And it's just a bizarre situation that he's not starting right now. So they need to get him back in that team for Neto. I think Pedence gives them creativity, gives them what they miss when Joe Matinho is not in the team. And then Jimenez is the goal scorer. Get Adama back in for Neto. That's excellent. That four across the middle, really, really good. Kilman has been impressive, but he's still young. He's still learning. Cody and Bali are, are what they are. They're, they're average players who, who, you know, if Wolves want to progress, they need to be looking to upgrade on those two. Um, Leicester win the game with a penalty. Questionable on the handball, but. To me, it is what it is. The rule is the rule. I've said before they need to change some of these rules. But that one... That one I kind of... I don't really have a problem with. Uh, You know, I think he's far enough away that he doesn't need to have his hand where it is. Um, Leicester got a second penalty in this game as well and Vardy missed it. But all in all, I think Leicester were the better team. I think they deserve the three points. Wolves haven't really played well this season. Wolves are the type of team that they can they're just grinding out results right now. They're not playing with the same flair we've seen in previous years. Like when they had the Adama Jimenez Jota front three, or even just the Jimenez Jota front front two. They had a little bit more about them. This, this iteration of the team, they're a bit more paint by numbers. They're a little bit predictable. They were, were unlucky not to rescue a point. Neves had an unbelievable shot saved by Kasper Schmeichel. One of the best saves you'll see all season. A little bit unlucky, but aside from that, they didn't really create enough to warrant much. And, you know, like they're nine it's it's not where they'll want to be you know they they'll have ambitions of of finishing higher, but it's probably where they deserve to be only eight goals scored this season that's what needs to change. They've got the joint best defensive record in the league, but they can't score goals. The only teams who are scoring less goals than them are the bottom four Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield United and Burnley. And Fulham are only one goal behind them. So that, leads to, that needs to change and it needs to change quickly. They need to figure out how to get more goals in the team, how to score more goals. The answer is simple. Play down, Traore. Third game of the day then was the big one. Arguably now the biggest clash in English football. Manchester City against Liverpool. At the Etihad. Not that it makes much difference with without fans, but that's where the game was played. Uh, Liverpool sprung a surprise with their lineup, going with the 4 2 3 1, including Diogo Jota and Roberto Firmino. Many people had thought it was going to be one or the other, but Jurgen Klopp decided to go with both. Uh, City also went 4 2 3 1, with Ferran Torres, Kevin de Bruyne, and Raheem Sterling playing behind Gabi Jesus. Um, very much a game of two halves, though. Liverpool were the better team first half and they looked far more dangerous than City but they didn't really create anything and in truth we're very fortunate not to go in 3-1 down they go ahead early Mo Salah scores a penalty there's no question it's a penalty Sadio Mane gets his legs clipped by Kyle Walker after turning him Uh, Roy Keane referred to Kyle Walker as an idiot uh, And I thought it was fair I think Walker has always been a little bit brainless defensively I think he's fine when the game is in front of him When he can see everything coming I think he's absolutely fine But when asked to turn When put in tight situations Especially in his own box You do see Kyle Walker panic You do see him make mistakes And Sadio Mane punished him So no problem at all With the penalty Salah steps up, easily beats the goalkeeper. It's 1-0 Liverpool. It's been 15 minutes of Liverpool being the better team at this point. But they haven't really created anything at all. From there, they continue to be the better team. And then City start to work their way back into it. De Bruyne starts to have more influence. They start to get a little bit of control in midfield with Rodri and Gundogan. They're playing the ball through the t- through Liverpool's team through Liverpool's midfield uh, with worrying ease if you're a Liverpool fan but Liverpool's defence is holding solid, you've got Trent, you've got Joe Matip back in the team Joe Gomez and Andy Robertson that's a defence Liverpool will be happy with uh, Henderson and Alden playing as a double pivot not ideal both of them both of them play in midfield too the same way they play a midfield three. It's almost like they forget that Fabinho not there in the middle to babysit them both. They play far too wide. They play positionally. Not so much Wijnaldum, but Henderson can be a bit positionally brain dead can, can just abandon his position on a whim whenever he feels like it, which is fine in a three. It doesn't work in a two. You have to be much more disciplined in the two. One of the reasons Liverpool have not played four-two-three-one under Jurgen Klopp as much is because of a lack of positional discipline uh, from not just him, but, but a couple of others. Four-two-three-one one has always been Klopp's preferred formation. And when he first took over Liverpool, that's what he played. He tried to go that way a couple of years ago when he signed uh, Nabi Keita and Fabinho and then tried to bring in Nabil Fakir. And Fakir would have played from the right with Firmino as a 10 and Mane from the left and Salah up front and then a front uh, a midfield too of Fabinho and Naby, both of whom were coming from systems in Monaco and RB Leipzig where they played in a two. Excuses have been made since, but had, N- had Nabil Fakir arrived, it would have been 4-2-3-1. There's, there's little doubt about that. Um, I think Klopp is is always excited when he gets to play 4-3-1. He tried it with Shaqiri, a bunch of times as well, and it has worked quite well. It uh, didn't really work in this game, though. It must be said, it hasn't really worked this season, and a large part of that is that midfield too. There's just there's not enough quality there. Wijnaldum's not a central midfielder. He plays there for Liverpool, but he's not a central midfielder. He's an attacking midfielder or a winger. That is what he naturally wants to do, and he's a, he's a much better player for the Netherlands than he is for Liverpool. He's still very important for Liverpool. He's still a good player for Liverpool and he does a lot of the dirty work and a lot of the kind of in the background stuff that people don't notice, like cutting off passing lanes, like being an outlet, like being the recycler of a ball. But Jordan Henderson doesn't suit playing a two at all. And you could see it in his complete lack of influence in this game. Um less than less than forty passes completed. It, it's just not going to cut the most against a team like City. City worked their way back into the game. They get their equaliser. It's a really nice ball from De Bruyne into Gabi Jesus. It's a world-class turn and finish. It's an absolutely world-class turn and finish. They took the commentators a couple of looks to see what he'd actually done. I think the initial thought was that he'd gotten his first touch wrong, but it's absolutely meant. It's absolutely purposeful. Brilliant little flick back through his own legs. Turns. Left-footed finish into the bottom corner. Excellent goal by a really good goal scorer. And it's, it's what City deserved. They had been mounting pressure. They had been growing into the game. And they had been creating chances. They would get other chances. Raheem Sterling has a great chance to score. Or to pass the ball to Jesus for a simple tap-in. He's played in by De Bruyne again. He's one-on-one with the goalkeeper. He can just square it to Jesus, who has a tap into an empty net. Instead, he takes too much out of the ball. Alison Becker converges, makes a good save. That should have been 2-1 City. And then we have the penalty. Um Joe Gomez gets called for a handball. And again, I don't have a huge issue with it under the current rules. Yes, he is. Look, for years. Most of us will understand the handball that if you are moving your hand out of the way, you would generally get the benefit of the doubt. If you're trying to get your hand out of the way, you would get the benefit of the doubt. The issue with that is that over time, many people started to manipulate that rule where they would, yes, they would move their hand out of the way, but they would do it in a way that they knew their hand was going to strike the ball. They would change the natural arc of their hand, let it hit the ball, let it stop the ball, deflect the ball, whatever, and then claim, well, I was moving my hand out of the way, so surely it can't be a penalty. And referees got wise to it. Now, I don't, I'm not suggesting that Joe Gomez was trying to purposely block the ball with his hand, but they've changed that rule. They don't want you turning your body and moving your hand away. They want you making yourself as small as possible. They want you keeping your hand, your arms tucked into your sides, hands in front of you. Because you can make the argument, if you are standing with your hands in front of you and the ball hits your hands, you can simply say, the ball would have hit my body if it hadn't hit my hand. And the referees generally agree. That is generally what they will agree to. Um, they won't even call the free kick, the foul, the penalty, whatever. So... Um, that's where Joe Gomez has gone wrong in this game. Is is he hasn't made himself small enough? Basically, Kevin De Bruyne steps up, and it's a fairly scuffed penalty. Sends it wide. A big relief for Liverpool. In the second half, City seemed to lose a little bit of their impetus. They seemed to become a little bit content with how the game was going. Maybe they thought the longer this goes. The more opportunities we'll get, the more our quality will tell. And Liverpool went really, really flat in the second half. I thought the lack of creativity kind of shone through. I thought when Alexander Arnold got injured and went off, Liverpool were very much accepting of a point, even when like they had Shakiri on the field. And yet they didn't try and create anything through him. They weren't getting him the ball. He was having to drop very, very deep to pick up the ball. And into positions where he wasn't going to be able to affect the game. So I think Liverpool were very happy with the point. I think Liverpool should be much happier with this result than City are. Liverpool are currently third in the league. They started the weekend first. They're in a good position. They will look at the two teams above them in Leicester and, and Tottenham, and they will think we're better than them. So if it comes down to it in a title race, we can we can beat each of them. But City are 10th. They're six points off the top. Now, they do have a game in hand, but even winning that game in hand, as things currently stand with their goal difference, which is only plus one, City will be 7th if they win that game in hand. Even if they win that game in hand, which is against Aston Villa, they will not pass Aston Villa, who are sixth. The most surprising number of the season so far is City only having scored 10 goals. And when you look at the fixtures and look at who they've played, it's not like they've had a murderer's row. I mean, yes, they played Wolves in the first game. They scored three goals there. Then they played Leicester. They scored two. Now, they did concede five. But that's that's two tough games, but they've scored five goals. Up next is Leeds. They score one. Newly promoted Leeds. Terrible defensively this year. Up next, Arsenal. They score one. Rebuilding Arsenal. Makeshift defence. Then they play West Ham. 1 Then they play Sheffield United they score 1 Sheffield United are awful this season So it's not like they've had Chelsea It's not like they've played Spurs They've obviously now just played Liverpool Yes they played Leicester They got walloped But they scored 5 goals in those first 2 games And they've only scored 5 In the 5 since That's just really, really unusual for a Manchester City team under Pep Guardiola. Normally, you'd expect them to have, you know, 20 after seven games. That's what they do. They score goals for fun. You look at last season, City scored 102 goals. 102 goals last season. Season before, they scored 95. Season before that, 106. Even the year before, when they finished third, they scored 80. This season, they're on track to score about 45. It will change. It won't stay like that. But it's not good. It's not, it's not the city we expect. I've said for, well, as long as I've been doing this podcast, they need a better option at left-back. Joe Canseo is a good attacking fullback, but he's a good attacking right-back. He's not a left-back. They didn't replace Leroy Sané. And they can say they bought Ferran Torres, but Ferran Torres is not Leroy Sané. He's not anything like Leroy Sané. He's a totally different type of player. And he doesn't fill the void left by Leroy Sané. City have become very predictable. If you take Kevin De Bruyne out of the game, City struggle. We saw him get injured early in the first half, sorry, early in the second half when Joel Matip clattered into him. And that was basically his influence on the game done. Which meant it was City's influence done. City's threat was gone. They had one good chance in the second half. Joe Canseo coming down the left lazily kind of waved infield by Liverpool, who didn't seem to realise he was right-footed. Clips a lovely pass, a lovely cross in, and Gabby Jesus should score. He's nine yards out, he's free, it's a, it's an easy ball to head into the back of the net. Puts it wide. Other than that, City didn't really create anything second half. Liverpool didn't create anything second half. Second half was a very, very dull affair. But, it's concerning for city right now that they've only scored 10 goals, that they're grinding out results. I don't know that the city team has the, the constitution to grind out results. I don't know that they have the willpower to do it week after week. I don't know that they have the want to do it week after week. You're looking at an uncertain situation over the manager's contract. So the players are looking at that and thinking, is he here next year? Am I giving everything to this guy? When somebody else is going to be here next year. Do I really want to go into next season with potentially an injury? Coming back from an injury? Until that managerial situation gets sorted. I think City are going to have some tough times. Three wins from seven games. Three. This is Manchester City. It's a team that ran away with the league a couple of years ago. It's a team that then got 98 points. They had 198 points in two seasons. Think about that 198 points in two seasons. That is absolutely ludicrous. To be that consistently brilliant for two seasons is just staggering. Yes, the European. Performances have not been up to scratch Yes they've been let down But 198 points over two seasons Out of a possible 228 Over two seasons they only dropped 30 points This season they've already dropped 9 Only 7 games in They're only 7 games in Most of the league is 8 games in But still They've dropped nine points this season alone. It's not like them. They lack real thrust from left back. And they lack that real natural wide player on the left-hand side. I don't like De Bruyne as much as a 10. I think he's much better suited to his older role as a number eight. I think Pep has become a little bit overly conservative. Um, when we see Gundogan and Rodri play together, I understand a lot of it is that Gundogan does not oh, sorry that Rodri doesn't have the pace and the mobility of Fernandinho. But I thought he had a good gaming against Liverpool. I really want to see De Bruyne, Rodri, and Bernardo Silva as a midfield three. I really want to see that happen. But the problem for City is that when they were brilliant, you had De Bruyne on the right-hand side of the midfield. You then had Sterling, Aguero and Sané right to left up front. And what they would do is they would shapeshift through the game and De Bruyne would float to the right. Sané would go, left, go, go wide to the left and hold the width. What that allowed them to do was stretch the play vertically and horizontally. They could switch the play or they could go long when needed to. They could be that direct team but they could pull defences all over the field. They could really stretch those defenders out and create gaps. And what you would see then is David Silva driving from midfield and just sliding those beautiful through balls to Aguero and to Sterling that we saw him do for his entire tenure at City. That ability to stretch the play vertically and horizontally made teams wide open and City punished them. Time after time after time, they punished him. You would see the underlapping runs from Kyle Walker where he would go inside of Kevin De Bruyne and run on to a pass just slid perfectly into him into his into his path and he'd have an easy cut back then for Sterling or Aguero. Aguero and Sterling basically in those years were playing as a front two. Even though on paper they were a front three it was a, a In reality, most of the game they spent 4-4-2. With De Bruyne right wing, Sané left wing, and those two up front. And it worked. It worked brilliantly. Game after game, week after week. Nobody could stop them. They had simplified the game. And then they'd mastered it. And it was brilliant to watch. In De Bruyne and Sané, we saw what for years we saw from Beckham and Giggs. That creative player on the right with the ability to pick out any pass and that burst of speed timing of runs natural width good finisher good crosser all that from the left. De Bruyne and Sané were the modern day Beckham and Giggs. David Silva was playing that Paul Scholes role but he was more attack minded. And Fernandinho was doing the Roy Keane job. Kicking everything that moved and getting away with it. Fernandinho had mastered all the dark arts. And now you look at this City team and they're a little bit too nice. There's a little lack of leadership. But just from a fundamental point of view, they don't have the same structure, the same identity. Sterling is tremendous and he does a good job on the left but he prefers to play on the right he wants to play closer to goal Raheem Sterling sees himself now as a goalscorer, not so much a creator like he was at Liverpool now he's a goal scorer and he's you know he's 20 to 25 a season so you can't argue with it for me if City go out in January and they could sign someone that could play that left-sided role and it doesn't have to be somebody who's always played there could be a left footer who's predominantly played on the right hand side like sane had before he joined and you just move him to his natural side and and you streamline the game samuel chukwasezie from real could be the ideal one wonderfully talented natural kind of Wide player who really does hold the width on the right hand side when he plays there. So you could easily get him doing it on the left. Great pace, great dribbler, good crosser of the ball, has a wicked shot on him. Only 21 22, tremendous upside. Someone like him could really lift the level of this team. Like, really, really lift the level of this team. They need to sort of left back as well. Those are the two sort of priorities for them. Because you know you have to like Diaz and Laporte. I'm not the I'm not a big Ederson fan. I have to admit. I like Rodri. I love De De Bruyne. I I try and separate Bernardo Silva the player from Bernardo Silva the crybaby that we see on social media. But as a player, I love him. They also have Phil Foden that could play that role. So they they have the talent. They have everything. It's just those two positions, left, left, full, uh, left back and left wing. Sort them out, and City can get back to what they were a couple of years ago. But they also need to sort out the Guardiola situation. The final game of the evening was Arsenal at home to Aston Villa. Arsenal obviously coming into this game, having beaten Manchester United last time out. And I would imagine they were full of confidence um, at home. You're always going to be more confident. They'd won three in a row. Uh, Now, admittedly, two of them were Europa League games, but still momentum is momentum. But Villa were having no part of it. Villa were not here to celebrate the greatness of Mikel Arteta or anything like that. After two bad defeats in a row, against Leeds and against um Southampton. The old villa turned up. The villa from the start of the season. From those first, you know, four or five games, that villa turned up. And they were they were ruthless. They really were ruthless. They dominated this game. They allowed Arsenal to have the ball because they knew they didn't need it. And when they won it back, they just punished Arsenal over and over again. Ross Barkley was brilliant. Jack Grealish was very, very good. Douglas Louise was tremendous. John McGinn was tremendous. They just their balance, the penetration in their runs, in their movement. Trezeguet played very well off the right hand side as well. They had, they just had everything going for them. They get ahead early um, when Baki Osaka puts through his own net, but if he doesn't touch the ball, Trezeguet has an easy to tap in. So I don't want to hear any slating of Saka. It's it's just unfortunate. He's in the right position. Unfortunately for him, he just makes the wrong contact with the ball. Arsenal were, Arsenal were poor. It must be said. They were poor. Uh, Willian, I said when they signed him, I didn't like the signing. And I still don't like the signing. I can appreciate that he's a very good player. He has been a, a tremendous player over his career. With Shakhtar, with Chelsea, with the Brazilian national team. But he has passed his best. And for an Arsenal team that are meant to be rebuilding, he is a diversion from the correct path. He is meant to add creativity. He has not. Talk about City having only scored 10 goals in seven games. Arsenal have only scored nine in eight games. Arsenal are relying too much on their defence which is fine, except that you don't have a complete defense. You've got two-thirds of one. Uh, We saw Hector Bellerin turn in a dreadful performance. Jack Grealish made an absolute mug of him. And the fact that Jack Grealish was able to out-sprint Hector Bellerin while dribbling the ball is a great concern, because Hector Bellerin's only real attribute is his pace. So that's concerning um i thought arsenal like i say just very flat very an um, an empty team as i've said before you can see what arteta wants you can see what the the long term aim is but unless he sorts out the short term he's not going to be there long term they're far too passive he waits too long to make changes they're they're very easy to plan for They're very predictable. I don't know why... Like Elneny has played very well in recent weeks, but this was a game for Danny Ceballos. You're at home. You're playing Villa. They're good. They're not great. Danny Ceballos needed to start this game next to Thomas Partey. And frankly, Willian shouldn't be in the team. Nicolas Pepe needs to be in the team. He adds more pace, more of a direct threat. He's just that he's a better player. He's a flat-out better player in 2020 than Willian is. It's as simple as that. Willian has been living on reputation for a couple of years now. Nicholas Pepe needs to be in that team. If you're going to play... If you, like, if, you don't, if you don't want to play Pepe, Lacazette, and Aubameyang, then leave Lacazette out of the team. Because he's the one that's not performing of the other, of the other three. He's not performing at all. I worry with Arsenal that they're so caught up in the long-term plan. They're so caught up with the philosophy of Arteta that sometimes they forget about the grit and the grind. They forget that sometimes you just have to get real nasty. You have to have a bit of A bit of fight to you. You have to be that bit of a bastard sometimes. There's not enough of that in this Arsenal team. They're too nice. Look like a bunch of lads that carried the shopping across the road for an old lady. It's not what you need in this Premier League. Look at that. Look at that Villa team. Ross Barkley. Nasty side to him. Grealish is a nasty side to him. Douglas Louise, nasty side to him. You think John McGinn's a nice guy on the pitch? Absolutely not. You think Trezeguet wouldn't, wouldn't cheat to get ahead? Of course he would. If you're not cheating, you're not trying hard enough. This Villa team embarrassed Arsenal. Embarrassed them. Ollie Watkins gets two goals. That's he's had a great start to life at Villa. I think that's eight and ten for him in all competitions. Barkley, like I say, was brilliant. Grealish was really, really good. That pairing, they're just clicking so well. The balance to this team is really good. We saw Target and Cash both getting forward, adding that width. I think Villa are. I think Villa are a centre-back away from having centre. I would be looking to upgrade on Trezeguet, but I do appreciate why he plays and what he offers. And I've said before, I'm not the biggest fan of of Tyron Ming. I think he's too error-prone. So for me, they're the two I'd be looking to upgrade on, kind of in the shorter term, maybe Matt Target as well. But Villa are getting there. They're getting there. Martinez is good. Cash is very good. Conz is very good. Luis is very good. Barkley's very good, is very good and Ollie Watkins is very good These are, this is a team on the up and they deserve, they deserve to be where they are in the league they're 6th with a game in hand if they win that game in hand they go top and they deserve to be there their form warrants them being in this position It was a good Sunday of football. We had contrasting games. Every game was a little bit different. And that's what you want from a a super Sunday. You don't want the same thing over and over again. There's a lot of teams going into this international break with a lot of question marks over them. And they're going to need to come out of this international break as different teams than they went in. We'll wrap up with some news. Um, Tottenham have been offered the chance to re-sign Christian Eriksen from Inter Milan. I can't imagine they will take that chance because he ran down his contract, forced his way out the door, didn't particularly perform in the last six to eight months he was there. So I, I would imagine that's a no thank you. Tottenham could also be offered the opportunity to sign Gareth Bale for as little as $15 million on a permanent deal. I don't think they'll take it up. They've got a loan this year with no obligation to buy and an option to loan him again next year with no obligation to buy. He's 31, he'll be 33 when that's over. Why would you bother buying him? Just keep the loan for a couple of years Um and then sign him on a free. Paris Saint-Germain and Brazil forward Neymar has told the club he wants to sign a new deal and is even helping the French Giants scout new players. Uh, he wants to sign a new deal because he knows nobody's going to pay him the same wages. No one's going to pay him that type of money, especially not coming off a pandemic. That guy has just given away his career. For me, what a waste. What an incredible talent. And he's just wasted his best years playing in, in France. Nothing against the French League, but it's it's not. We hear this idea of a big five, of five big leagues. This, there isn't. There just isn't. There are four big leagues. There's the Premier League, there's Serie A, there's the Bundesliga and there's La Liga. There are four big leagues. The French League is much closer to the Portuguese League than it is the Spanish League in terms of quality. So, no, I'm not having it. And uh, he's just wasted the, the prime years of his career. Bayern Munich and Austria defender David, Ala- <coughs> David Alaba is open to a move to Premier League with Liverpool... And Manchester City both interested. I would very much like him at Liverpool. I think he can play centre-back. I think he's the best left-back in the world when he wants to be. And he's great in midfield as well. So he can come in, fill in for Van Dijk in the short term, play left-back if needed. And then when Ginny Wijnaldum leaves next summer, you just slot him into midfield. And you've got Thiago, you've got Fabinho, you've got him. You're happy. Uh, Liverpool and England right-back Trent Alexander-Arnold is expected to miss the next four weeks. After going off injured against Man City, another injury is just what Liverpool needed, isn't it? Um, they are obviously off now for two weeks, so you know there's he'll he'll miss two to three Premier League games, uh, which is obviously a massive blow because he's the primary playmaker. It will be interesting to see who Jurgen Klopp calls on as an understudy. I would imagine James Milner is probably top of that list. Manchester United are delaying a decision on Argentine. Goalkeeper Sergio Romero's future until a plan for Dean Henderson's development is finalised with the Englishman in line for a January loan. It's very unfair to Romero that his career is just, you know, in limbo because United don't know what they're doing. It's, It's actually very, very unfair. There needs to be some sort of tribunal that players can go and air grievances about this type of thing because it's just not right that a man's career has been ruined because United don't know what they're doing with their other backup goalkeeper. An absolute crock. Um, Olivier Giroud is considering his future at Chelsea, and the striker, who was previously linked with Inter Milan, could seek a move to ensure he's in the French squad for next summer's European Championships. I have no idea why he's still at that club. I genuinely don't. Why didn't he leave in the summer? What was all the nonsense in the summer that he was happy to stay and fight for his place? He's never going to get in the team. He was never going to get in the team. Oh, just nonsense. He should have left in the summer. He will find suitors, though. There will be a bunch of clubs. And I'd imagine his previous club, Arsenal, might be one of them. They'll be very happy to take him back. Uh, Manchester United could miss out on Ous- Usman Dembele, with Barcelona prepared to give their out-of-favour fi- French forward a starting role in the absence of Ansu Fati. Fati did his knee. I think a torn meniscus, which is terrible for a young player we wish him a quick recovery but yeah, Dembele obviously United could have signed him in the summer, but you know we're so obsessed with Jadon Sancho that they didn't why Dembele didn't want to go there I think United could miss out on him just because he doesn't want to go there, more than anything else Um, Manchester United are concerned about the application of Mason Greenwood in training this is something that's been going around for a little while now uh, there's been talk that his his punctuality is not particularly good. He's not trying his hardest in training, and it is concerning. You'd hate to think that he has an attitude problem. That maybe all the success at this point has gone to his head. You'd hope that Ollie is, you know, taking a hard line with him. This isn't a, this isn't a moment for a hand and an arm around the shoulder. This is a moment for a boot to the backside. So, if it's true, United need to step quickly and deal with it because they can't him going the way of Ravel Morrison, for example. Now, he won't go to that extreme, but you know what I mean. They need him to go the route of Marcus Rashford. And if it doesn't, that will be a huge blow to them because he is an incredible talent and a massive part of their future. Um, Aston Villa's goalkeeper, I mean... Martinez thinks the club can challenge for European qualification. There's absolutely nothing stopping them. Absolutely nothing stopping them. but Maybe lack of quality in certain areas, but January will come. They will sign players, you'd imagine. They've got the ambition, for sure, and they're they're in the form to do it, so, you know, let's see. Uh, Manchester United have blocked Victor Lindelof from linking up with the Sweden squad for their friendly with Denmark. Because of COVID-19 travel restrictions currently in place throughout the UK, where if people come back from Denmark, it's an automatic two-week isolation. That is absolutely fair, and you'd imagine most clubs uh, will be looking to do the same. Uh, Liverpool and Republic of Ireland goalkeeper Cueven Kelleher is hopeful of a move in January, a loan move, obviously. Uh, yeah, makes sense. He's not going to get games at Liverpool, so it is time for him to head out on loan and, and get that experience that he needs. Liverpool have finally closed the door on their training base of 60 years. They have left Melwood. They have moved to their new state, their new training ground. It does look spectacular, uh, but it is the end of an era. It is, it is a, it's a tremendous place. There's an incredible amount of history there, dating back to Shankly through Paisley, Fagan, Doug Leash the players that that training ground has played home to, um, it's a who's who. It's a very difficult moment as a Liverpool fan to close that door. You know, Liverpool have such a connection to that training ground, in large part because of, you know, the iconic managers that have, have worked there. Like I said, Shankly and Paisley have been the two at the top of that list. Um, it is just kind of... It's cutting a tie... With their past But it is an exciting time This new training ground is spectacular looking I believe it will Pay massive dividends And uh, hopefully Hopefully it benefits them long term Manchester United will consider Sending out a trio of 19 year old players Ethan Galebraith, Arno Twigmal And Ethan Laird on loan in the January transfer market Yep, fine, nobody cares uh, English left-back Aaron Cresswell wants West Ham to build on their newfound stability under David Moyes after the West Brom, oh, sorry, West Ham manager said his team are no longer a flaky side. I'm not sure what that means, but they look fairly flaky against Fulham when they were giving away a last-minute penalty. I said in the summer they needed to build, not rebuild. Instead, he binned off Dean Ghana and binned off Felipe Anderson. I don't want to hear it. They're having a good run of form. Let's see how they are at the end of the season. I still think they're, I still think they're strong contenders to go down. That's just me. That's it. That's my show for today. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Fox Haunt for our title music. Check out their new single, and do give a listen to my good friend Trev Downey's podcast. The Great Stories. If you are into literature, if you're into short stories, if you're into listening to a man with a lovely voice tell you a story and then talk about it with Neil Poole. The Great Stories, you can find it on Apple you'll find it on Spotify or Stitcher or any any other podcast app. The Great Stories it is tremendous. Season 2 kicked off last night with a Stephen King uh, story so I would highly recommend it to everybody. I would highly recommend following everything that Trev Downey does. You can find him on Twitter at Downey Trev. Uh, Tell him I sent you and be nice to him because he deserves it. That's it. That's me. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.